Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. We are on the road this week, right? Uh, road again? Yeah. yeah. I mean, right, right, not necessarily right now. We're actually coming to you from our t- traditional home bases. But by the time you hear this, we will be in the wind, as they say. Mm, yes, yes. So uh, so your pals here, super producer Max Williams. <laughs> and Whoa. Noel Brown and yours truly. Uh, we wanted to share some of our favorite classic episodes this week. Remember, Noel, you and I were both pretty astonished, I think, when we learned that the United States used bat poop as a a reason to invade another country. It's it's. I mean, what what other reason do you need, man? There's there's hill there's hills in them there gold. No, that's not how it goes. There's poop in them there hills, and it turns out that uh, guano, bird poop, also bat poop. You know the white stuff. Remember that? Was it? Was that? Boys, no, not boys. That was New Kids on the Block, or was it Millie Vanilli? Millie Vanilli, the white, the, the right stuff, the white stuff that comes out of birds' butts is actually really, really good uh, for fertilizer and also for making explosives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we were collectively stunned by this, along with our pal, good friend of the show, Casey Pegram. So, Noel, you and I and Casey, we looked into. What really happened? How could you use guano as a pretext to invade a sovereign land? Uh, And that's this episode. It sure is. Specifically, you, uh, the United States. That's Uh, the you we're referring uh, to. There it is. And this is a thing that happened. So let's jump right in. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. It's time for the show, ladies and gentlemen, friends and neighbors. I am Ben Bullen, and I am super proud of both of us for not starting with a fart joke today. 
Was that on the table? It's always on the table, but uh, so far we've managed to uh, be our best selves. I think the farthest we've ventured into that kind of blue territory was unicorn farts, angel angel farts. Mm, I, you know, there was that, and then there was also the episode about scientists hiding under college kids' beds. But that wasn't our fault. No, no, that was that was a, a historical fact. It's true. I'm Noel, by the way, and this is Ridiculous History. And here we are. Here we are. So you may be asking yourselves, Ben, Noel, super producer Casey Pegram, why did you feel the need to point out that you aren't starting with a fart joke? Well, because, Ben, we're talking about poo-poo today. <laughs> we are. We are. Uh, and we're not just talking about excrement. We're talking about a very important sort of excrement. White gold, my man. Mm-hmm. Guano. Yep. The island ingot known as bird poop. The island ingot. <laughs> yeah. Or guano. And we are also talking about geopolitics. We're talking about the great game that all nations play. Yeah. What could be better? Poo-poo and geopolitics. <laughs> right? Aren't you glad you tuned in today? So, I would propose that we, as the Mad Hatter said, start at the beginning-ish. I think that's the smart way to go about this. All right, and then we'll probably go to the middle. In sort of a chronological way. (laughs) I like it. Let's travel, Noel, to the Pacific Remote Islands Marine National Monument. What the heck is that? Yeah, so it's uh, today 370,000 square nautical miles of protected islands that stretch from uh, the Wake Atoll, which is in the northwest, to Jarvis Island in the southeast. And it's basically a cluster of small islands um, that is protected under the National Wildlife Refuge System. And just to list them all off, there's Kingman Reef, Palmyra Atoll, Howland Island, Baker Island, Jarvis Island. And then those are the ones under the National Wildlife Refuge System. They also include two um, others, Johnston Atoll and Wake Island. And these islands are home to tremendous levels of biodiversity. This is also where we discovered some amazingly silly and Dr. Seussian uh, bird names. Also, side note, yes, we are aware that the correct pronunciation is Dr. Soyce. Like the ham-fisted booby? Mm-hmm. The sooty turn. I made up ham-fisted booby. I mean, the booby is real, but the sooty turn is totally legit. And you know what? I totally, when you said ham-fisted booby, I, I thought, sure, yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yes, and. Is it any more <laughs> or less ridiculous than the rest of them? Like the wandering tattler? I also have a lovely laundry list of uh, endangered uh, or depleted species that do quite well in the Pacific Remote Islands. And they include, but are not limited to, the green and hawksbill turtle, the pearl oyster, giant clams, reef sharks, coconut crabs, groupers, humphead and Napoleon wrasses. Mm-hmm. What's a wrasse? W-R-A-S-S-E. Don't know what that one is. And my personal favorite, the ever Dr. Seussian, bumphead parrotfish. Bumphead parrotfish, yes, of Dr. Seussian fame. Also, specifically, the Palmyra Atoll and Kingman Reef have the highest coral diversity levels uh, of any other atoll or reef island in the entire Central Pacific. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, a ras is a type of civet, which is a really cute-looking tiny mammal. A civet? Civet. A civet. With a V like victory or vendetta. Interesting. Okay. So it's we're saying that uh, I think it's really important for us to establish these are not just uh, the homes of some 
hilariously named birds. But for the purpose of today's episode, we are very much focusing on those birds because if you have a lot of birds in a small area, what else do you have a lot of? Got a lot of bird poop. And bird poop is the key ingredient of today's episode. Also, this reminds me, thanks to everybody who wrote to us and and demystified vinegar pie. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We've moved on now to uh, recipes exclusively involving bird droppings. And it's, but it's not just bird droppings for fun because as it turns out, these piles of, of, of white poop were very important in uh, the United States establishment of imperialist laws. Mm-hmm. It turns out that if you discover an island and you say, you know what, I want this island to belong to the United States, all you have to do is tell them essentially that you're going to mine bird poop on that island and then give it to the U.S. There's poop in them hills, and that's all because of the Guano Islands Act of 1856, which says that if a U.S. citizen finds some bird dookie on any rock, island, or key, and that location isn't already under the control of another government, you can consider it as, quote, appertaining to the United States, a, a quite spurious and interesting legal term that we will dive into a little later, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the Guano Island Act of 1856 is still on the books today. It's 48 U.S. Code Chapter 8. And uh, specifically, we've got the language here. Whenever any citizen of the United States discovers a deposit of guano on any island, rock, or key not within the lawful jurisdiction of any other government and not occupied by the citizens of any other government, deep breath, and takes peaceable possession thereof and occupies the same such island, rock, or key may at the discretion of the president be considered as appertaining to the United States. So it has to be a legit deserted island. But why do this, Ben? Why write such a convoluted and seemingly silly sounding code um, that allows people to, uh, you know, basically squat on uh, uninhabited islands and uh, dig for poop? That's that's a great question. And uh, it it turns out that guano was much more than uh, just a, a fun thing at the time. In the 1840s and even before, guano became a very, very powerful and precious commodity because it was a source of saltpeter for gunpowder and was also a very useful fertilizer. The U.S. began importing guano in 1843, and the U.K. was also importing it by the early 1850s. U.S. imports were more than or around, I guess is fair to say, uh, 760,000 tons. And one of the big sources of this came from Peruvian seabirds. And farmers were claiming in the 1840s that using this fertilizer could increase a crop yield threefold. Right, because these small Peruvian islands had little rainfall, intense sunlight, and ultimately the perfect, perfect, perfect conditions to allow this guano to dry out and form deposits that could then be mined like any other natural resource, right? Yes. So we have a guano boom. Actually, a guano mania, as some 
some people were coining it. A historian by the name of Richard Wines called it a perfect mania because of guano's potency as a fertilizer. In 1850, it was $76 a pound or $167 a kilogram, which is, according to an article from Dan Vergano in National Geographic, a quarter of the price of actual gold. And I wasn't joking at the top when I said white gold. I mean, this was a very valuable material that was quite sought after because it was before the invention of uh, synthetic fertilizers, which were made of ammonia, and that didn't happen until the early 20th century. Right. So at the time now, um, you can find a really great interview with Columbia Law Professor Christina Duffy Burnett, where she provides some historical context to this and talks about the the genuine crisis, the mania, the uh, boom, because this wasn't sort of a, a, a useless or cosmetic boom like Beanie Babies. No, it turned out the fertilizer was actually really good, or rather the guano made for a bang-up fertilizer because it was very rich in both phosphorus and nitrogen. It led to a very strange market. There were guano counterfeiters. Totally. (laughs) Fake guano flooding the market. (laughs) Which makes me think somebody's going, Dad, why won't you tell me what you do for a living? It's like, be quiet, son. Get me more of this off-white paint. <laughs> I don't know. What What do you cut guano with? Yeah, like, I don't know, baby laxative. <laughs> right? Did they Did they have that at the time? No, I don't know. Uh, it's, uh, it's unclear, Ben. It's unclear. The history is murky in that department. Different episode, right, for another day. But what we what we do find is that this led to pretty intense diplomatic disputes uh, from the piece that you quoted earlier, Noel, courtesy of Richard Wines. Uh, the United States did find itself in some pretty what corporate America would call healthy conversations. Absolutely. Which in the real world uh, is a euphemism for intense arguments because this all came to a tipping point. Malcolm Gladwell style, when people began fighting over a Caribbean island called Aves. It's an isolated, uninhabited dot at the time, about 350 miles off the coast of Venezuela. In 1854, Americans landed on this island, and they wanted to claim it as U.S. territory. They erected, get this, a uh, liberty pole on the island to make things official, is that like a barber pole? <laughs> and they, they called it a liberty pole. But when they uh, left and returned with guano mining gear, they found the employees of a British firm already there with the gear mining that sweet, sweet guano. Did they have a scrap? Well, at first, they divided it up between them. And somebody said, all right, we, you know, we were here first, but there's enough bird poop for everyone. And the British said, very well, tally-ho, whatever you know, slang they chose to use at that time. And they thought, pip, pip, there we go. And they thought that they would, you know, live in peace and harmony. However, Venezuela considered the island to be Venezuelan territory. And they were not impressed by this Liberty Pole. They were not impressed by this guano. They were not impressed that the British and the Americans were getting along. So then the scrap took place. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, A Venezuelan warship came several months later and kicked everybody out. And then there was a dispute that lasted for decades, even though, long story short, it turned out that the guano on this island was kind of, well, I was going to say crappy as a manure, but maybe a better word would be substandard. 
So a little more time passes, and obviously this is not a sustainable model, right? So U.S. farmers start really pushing the farm lobby to pressure Congress to get in the mix and pass some kind of legalese that would allow for basically what we're talking about, claiming these uh, uninhabited islands that potentially could be sites for guano deposits under what ultimately became the guano Islands Act. And we've uh, read portions of that. And I just want to read one more little snippet because I think it's pretty instructive. Um, The discoverer shall, as soon as practical, give notice verified by affidavit to the Department of State of such discovery, occupation, and possession, describing the island, rock, or key, and the latitude and longitude thereof as near as may be, and showing that such possession was taken in the name of the United States, and shall furnish satisfactory evidence to the State Department that such island, rock, or key was not at the time of the discovery thereof, or of the taking possession and occupation thereof by the claimants in the possession or occupation of any other government or of the citizens of any other government before the same shall be considered as appertaining to the United States. Appertaining. Do you want to get into appertaining? I would love to. Okay. So, <laughs> again, I, I, I keep going back to this uh, this excellent interview in Cabinet Magazine. Appertaining, just the, the strict definition is to relate to, to concern, to be appropriate or applicable And in this interview uh, titled Islands in the Law with, again, with uh, Christina Duffy Burnett. Of Columbia University, right? Of Columbia University fame, absolutely right. There's this uh, this concept, okay, what is, it's not, it's almost like a friends with benefits thing. I've been thinking about this for a while. It's it's all of the girlfriend and boyfriend, but uh, the fun times, but really none of the obligations. Protections even, right? Right. So in this interview, and you can read this in full online, folks, Cabinet Magazine asks Professor Burnett, what does appertaining mean, legally speaking? And the professor says, that's the beauty of it, nothing, or rather no one had any idea. It was a vague way of saying it's like ours, Uh, Pretty much. Kind of, sort of. And there was no previous usage of appertaining in this context anywhere. Anywhere, capital A, anywhere, italicized, underlined, highlighted, anywhere. There was nothing in English about this. It originated in property law as a way of talking about stuff that came attached to something else. So, like, you would, you know, buy property on an estate and there would be language in there about the waters appertaining to the estate, you know, a little pond or a creek or the railway sightings that appertained to a railway. It basically means we got dibs. Yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) it's a way of taking place as possessions while being careful not to call them territories because if there's a territory that the U.S. owns – Legally, there are obligations that come along with that and constitutional entanglements. So it's a way of taking places without taking responsibility for them in a federal sense. Yeah, the final section of the code is even entitled Right to Abandon Islands. Nothing in this chapter contained shall be construed as obliging the United States to retain possession of the islands, rocks, or keys after the guano shall have been removed from the same. So we swoop in, we take the poop, and then we're out. Right? It's like a heist. It's like a very very slow heist. A very slow heist. (laughs) There's not a montage for it yet. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. 
with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
So, you know, this whole thing, um, this collection of islands that we talked about at the top of the show, uh, including the Palmyra Atoll, um, in total referred to as the Remote Islands Marine National Monument, the way we secured those in the first place was as a direct result of this Guano Act. But turns out... There wasn't a whole lot of guano in these islands. Yes, as a country, the United States was so desperate to get a hold of that sweet, sweet guano uh, that they started just going for places that they thought might have it because they were, you know, tiny islands that were not inhabited by humans. So logically, right, if there were no you know, large mammals on most of these islands, then birds would be free to fly and poop as they will. Mm -hmm. But you need a little more than that. Still, it didn't stop us because counting those five islands, there were about 70 islands, seven zero islands claimed based on this law. And back to that fantastic article with Professor Burnett, uh, she describes this time um, as being rampant with wildcatters and roughneckers who were just plopping down on these islands and throwing up their freedom poles mm. and going to town. And, you know, there would be some kind of shifty elements in all of this because it was kind of the Wild West. I mean, there is a provision in the Guano Act that says, you know, laws broken while on these islands follow the same law as uh, govern the high seas. If mm -hmm. you're on like a merchant vessel, for example, and you're on the high seas in international waters, you still are held accountable to American laws, mm -hmm. such as the case here. But even still, it's sort of like that episode we did on Antarctica where you're so isolated and like out of uh, the view of the eyes of the law of your home country that mm -hmm. who knows what could happen. I want to dig a little deeper and see if there were any crazy guano-related murders. Oh man, uh, there are there are so many strange anecdotes about life on remote islands. I do want to recommend, by the way, one of my favorite books for anybody interested in reading anecdotes about remote islands. It's the Atlas of Remote Islands by an author named Judith Schlansky, and. Oh, I can't say enough about it. But uh, there are a couple of guano anecdotes in there, if I recall correctly. And Noel is absolutely accurate in that description because there were freelancers who wanted to be despots, you know, and say like, I'm the king of bird poop. Guano, by the way, can also describe bat poop. But in the case of the Guano Act, it's, it's more specifically talking about birds. There were also legitimate pirate types, you know, cowboys with ships. Mm -hmm. Professor Burnett calls them. And one of the tricky things about this uh, is that the process for acquiring new territory in the history of the United States, uh, it's never really been a straightforward process. And often you will see that there were differences in the kind of territory or, or land acquired. Like, is it incorporated, unincorporated? What does that even mean? Right. So this act actually was introduced in 1856 by William Henry Seward, who was a senator at the time. And you may know him as actually the person who bought Alaska when he was secretary of state uh, during the Andrew Johnson administration. Famously referred to as Seward's folly. Why? Because people thought it was a bad idea. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> 
But as it turns out, despite what this act could potentially have done for U.S. farmers, there was a lot of controversy surrounding it, and it specifically was about the the language. And in the original version, the term that was used were territory and sovereignty and things like that. But people had issues with this because it was much more specifically imperialist, and that was uh, felt a little too English, perhaps. And uh, I think people, it kind of freaked people out a little bit. So that stuff kind of got the axe. And that's where that appertain word came in, that very legally just vague term that, according to Professor Burnett, pretty much means absolutely nothing. But this whole idea of claiming islands really set the tone for U.S. imperialism abroad. And that's where the terms incorporated and unincorporated territories uh, uh, originated. Incorporated territories means that they are on the road to becoming a proper state. Like we're going to make an honest uh, territory of you and, (laughs) and, uh, you know, tie the knot. And it seems to me like a a prerequisite for something being considered in this light would be that it had a – a decent amount of people already living there that we could identify with, right? Right? Yeah, we being the U.S. at the time. uh, Okay, we should just say it. They probably wanted a healthy population or a large population of white people or people descended from European ancestry, right, Uh, due to the prevalent racism at the time. What did unincorporated mean, though? Yeah, unincorporated was the fun one because that basically gave the U.S. the leeway to say, you know what, we're this is a part of the U.S., but it's not of the U.S. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not in the U.S. It's not a state. We don't claim it, but we are going to occupy it. In the same way, we would occupy, like in Iraq, for example, where we stuck around like, we don't want to be here, but we've got to be here to keep the peace. And mm-hmm. sometimes that gets complicated over time, right? But and, and, this language allows for those cases. Yeah, and in, that, in this case, it's it's not a uh, state, but uh, we have to be here to keep the bird poop peace. It's more of a state of mind. It's more of a state of mind. Well put. So one of the big questions now in the present day would be, is this still going on? Does the United States still have things like this? And the answer is yes. Yes, it absolutely does. You mean things like the the bird poop law? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that's still on the books. Uh, And then there's also the Palmyra Atoll. Mm -hmm. And this is almost south of the Hawaiian Islands. It's about a third of the way between Hawaii and American Samoa. The nearest continent is 34,000 miles away in the northeast. And – it's well, technically, it's an archipelago, but uh, they're pretty, it's pretty sparsely populated, caretaker, biologist, and it has one of the distinctions of being a unique incorporated territory. And all that means is that it is not a state, nor is it part of a state, but it is part of the United States. But doesn't, but I thought the unincorporated, I thought the incorporated was the one where like we have the intention of making you a state. Is that language probably shifted over time? I know this stuff can be somewhat malleable. Right, right. And Burnett addresses this too and says, you know, there's been a lot of controversy and discussion about what this means legally speaking. Uh, And in some cases, this is a very, very divisive issue 
And she points this out as well, uh, that in the case of Palmyra, this sounds strange, right? Because didn't we just say that incorporated is meant to imply that this area, whatever this piece of land is, is on the way to statehood, to being the 51st state or something? I actually found somebody in a message board just now um, – putting it pretty well when saying that it is considered an integral part of the United States uh, that in some way very much matters to our identity and possibly commerce in, in any number of ways. But Palmyra in particular is interesting because it was only just bought by the uh, Nature Conservancy in 2000. It was bought from the Fullard-Leo family and they actually uh, had recently turned down an offer to turn it into a nuclear waste site and wow. a casino. Not oh. sure if they mean at the same time or if those are two <laughs> separate offers, but uh, that'd be uh, that'd be interesting. But I'm kind of glad that it ended up uh, where 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 it's yeah. at now because it's beautiful. You can look up pictures of it, and I think you can visit it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you can visit a lot of these places. They're just uh, so remote, and in many cases, don't have too much of an infrastructure. But you know what I like about a nuclear waste casino combo? You're gambling either way. Exactly. <laughs> so. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. 
Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Here's another example of how this applies to the present day. There is an island called Navassa, and its ownership is still disputed between the U.S. and Haiti. Uh, in one case, historically, uh, workers on the island rioted and killed five supervisors to protest horrendous working conditions. You know, uh, ultra high prices at a company store, which we could talk about in a future episode, docked pay long hours, and federal juries convicted 40 participants in the crimes, anywhere from murder to rioting. Three were convicted of murder, sentenced to die, and the problem is that this case had really strong racial overtones. The managers were all white. The workers were universally black people. The three people convicted of death, George Key, Edward Smith, Henry Jones, they appealed. They got all the way to the Supreme Court, and they didn't dispute the facts of the case, like the murder, the rioting, all that. But they claimed that the Guano Island Act was unconstitutional. It didn't uh, jibe with the international law standard of territorial acquisition. And Haiti had not ceded possession of the island. And so the court ruled against them, saying it was constitutional. But they didn't state whether or not the island actually belonged to the U.S. Just that there was jurisdiction over it. So they kind of, again, tabled and, and dodged this question. And then more uh, legal cases come up in 1997. The U.S. versus Warren confirmed that Navassa has appertained to the U.S. since 1857, and the country has never given it up. So this is still real and relevant stuff. And should you find yourself on a desert island, check, check for guano. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to end on some advice. Do you know what ambergris is? Yeah, it's uh, from the bellies of. Oh no, it's it's from whales. Yeah, right. They, they poop it out. It like I think it like it's formed in their digestive tract, mm -hmm. and they poop it out, and it's like really, really, really valuable. I think it's used to make uh, perfume, perfume, and yeah. stuff. But if you find bird poop or ambergris on your deserted island, give us a call. Let's uh, let's talk. We'll do we'll do some business. I know a guy. You know who, a guy. I know a guy who can move. Poop and ambergris.
you've got an Ambergris associate. Uh, we also do want to point out another reason that this stuff matters is that guano mining can be tremendously damaging to an environment. And you always got to end on such a downer, man. That's not a downer. You're it's right. important. No, I, know. You know? Oh, I know. It's just, you know, raping and pillaging. Uh, yeah. And one big case of this would be uh, the island of Nauru, which is the world's smallest, most isolated public. It's about eight square miles, the entire place. Yeah, and as, as it turns out, neighboring uh, island, uh, Xanadu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the, uh, from the roller skating movie, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so uh, the neighboring island of Xanadu, as we assure you, this is a completely slash mostly true fact. Uh, their primary export is uh, films about roller skating. Yep. And Nauru's primary export for a long time was guano. But we all know that it is unsustainable to pin an entire nation's economy on a single export. So should you find yourself in, uh, in possession of a desert island and you want to call Noel and I uh, for legal advice, uh, we will gladly inform you that we are not lawyers, but we'd love to visit you. Hit us up at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on social media via Facebook, uh, Instagram. Um, we've got a fr- old Friendster page mm-hmm. from the early 2000s that's still kicking. We've got uh, a. Uh, remember got, Ello? Yeah. Remember Ello? Yeah. Yeah. I had one of those. And uh, and we do too at elo.ridiculous.com. Never mind. Did you mess with Allo? Yeah, yeah, briefly. Because Wasn't it was like the the low the low maintenance social network. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it was this low maintenance social network, and it turned out that uh, it became very low maintenance yep. because no one uses it. Yeah, well, that's not around anymore. But we do have Facebook, we have Instagram. We're still, you know, dicking around with our Pinterest board. We go back and forth. You know, it's like, should we get a Pinterest board? Should we just get a Ouija board? Yeah, we need some kind of board though in our social media entourage, um, but. Most importantly, we'll be back soon. Next week, maybe it's uh, just one more day. I'm not sure where this episode falls, but (laughs) there will be more Ridiculous History coming your way, and we hope that you will join us there. Casey, could we have a little island music? For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. 
Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.